This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Woo, Team Buck. So good to be back. First show 2017. Oh, gosh, I love the Freedom Hut. I've missed all of you very, very much. I've had a chance to speak with some of you either via social media as per usual or during a couple of fill-ins for Rush Limbaugh while I am on the subject. I'll be in for uh, Mr. Rush himself tomorrow, 12 to 3, across the country. And I believe the one and only Michael Pelka stunt brain will be in for me on the Blaze Radio Network. But, yeah, I'm on the EIB 12 to 3 Eastern tomorrow, which is exciting stuff. Uh, As always, we're going to have a lot to talk about, especially in light of a very busy day down in D.C. on Capitol Hill, which we'll get into in just a minute here. But uh, I trust all of you had a a good holiday, a good Christmas. Uh, I turned 35 on the 28th of December, uh, which was uh, a thing that happened to me. It's interesting to be 35 now, five years from 40. Okay, um, now, now it's now it's go time. If I'm going to really make a mark in media, I feel like the time is now. So thank you all for being a part of all that. And uh, best thing of my year, as always, uh, in what I do and, and in my day-to-day is Team Buck. So thank you for being a part of all that. And uh, it was very nice. Down with Miss Molly in Florida. Had a lovely time. I will say that uh, we stayed really on the on the boundary between uh, Palm Beach and Lake Worth. Uh, so uh, right on the boundary. I mean, w- when the Palm Beach sort of private beach turns into the Lake, Lake Worth public beach, I was like right there. Uh, and and it was it was quite nice, uh, a little little crowded. Uh, I do not usually travel over the holidays in any sort of long distance sense. So anyway, that was that. And uh, New Year's was fun. And that's those are my updates. Other than that, if you want, I, I'm on Instagram. You can check out some of the photos I posted on Instagram. If you didn't see them on Facebook, I'm just Buck Sexton on Instagram. So those of you who are Instagram peeps can follow me there. Uh, and obviously on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. All right, let's get into some news. Just all excited, all excited, excited. I missed all of you. I get a little, you know, twitchy. I get a little little anxious when I haven't had a chance to sit down with the team for a few days, uh, or many days in this case. So uh, we've got the possible repeal of Obamacare on the uh, docket today for Congress. I, I watched this morning. As Nancy Pelosi, whom I have to say, it's astonishing to me that she has the ability to get up there and say things now that I guess we knew back then she would eventually have to say. But wasn't there some foresight among Democrats that if if they lost power, 
the complete lack of any bipartisan appeal whatsoever when it came to passing Obamacare. I mean, the way they did it, they, they jammed through the last bits of it through the budget reconciliation process. Not a single Republican vote for this bill. And now they're doing two things simultaneously while the sort of country watches to see what this new Congress is up to. This Republican-controlled Congress with a soon-to-be Republican president. And they are both uh, pretending to reach across the aisle and also lying about what Obamacare has really been and, and what it's accomplished or what it has done. On the one hand, let's start with the reaching across the aisle stuff, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll sort of start us there. I mean, I can tell you the following. Um, they're not serious about anything. When, when we're talking about this as whether it's a bipartisan, uh, bipartisan effort or not, they can't speak about Obamacare without simultaneously slandering the Republicans in some way. Uh, they will. The, the, the tagline is make America sick again. So let's not get let's not even get to sort of first base here. Let's not even pretend that there's any real effort to do anything bipartisan when it comes to Obamacare, at least not yet. Maybe the Democrats will be forced to bend the knee on this. I'm assuming Trump will want that uh, a sort of show of humility from the Democrats. And will they be willing to make that step? I, I think probably not. Their entire mantra is going to be just all out constant Trump opposition, but maybe with Paul Ryan-led Republican majority Congress, they're willing to do something there. There's a chance they will work with them on some of that. But with Trump, no, I don't think they're going to allow Trump to bring them into the office and say, you're fired. I don't see that happening, but might be uh, there might be a back and forth on that coming up. We'll have to see. But so they're on the one hand saying make America sick again, which is uh, disrespectful, I think, very clearly disrespectful to the administration. And I mean, look, they can say whatever they want. But the point I'm making here is just they're not really serious about this being some bipartisan uh, bipartisan moment in time. Uh, what they're going to do is is hope that they can either get Trump to back off. Enough, or I shouldn't say Trump. Hope that the Republicans in Congress uh, to back off enough that they can say that they sold out the they sold out their base once again to try to cause dissent inside the GOP ranks and then take credit for any anything that the GOP does that maintains parts of this Democrats are going to say see we told you Obamacare is good now there are two things in Obamacare as we know uh, we've talked about this now for years um, there are two aspects of Obamacare that I think are both politically uh, Politically potent, and I would even argue in the one case, there's a, there is a, a real moral case you made for it. And, of course, that's the elimination of pre-existing conditions and kids being able to stay. And you're not a kid. You're not a kid once you're past 18. And so I mean, this is, you know, young adults, I guess we'll say. Um, you're, you're allowed to stay in your parents' health insurance until you're 26. That's politically popular. I don't know if that's really a, if there's really a moral argument you made for that, but it's politically popular. And then you have, of course, the pre-existing conditions, and and that's where I think the Democrats got ahead of the Republicans, and they and they did outmaneuver them, because the idea that somebody through no fault of their own could have some uh, terrible illness befall them, and then be essentially priced out of the healthcare market for the rest of their lives, and just 
go through constant either substandard care and bouts of uh, of of being bankrupt, if not officially, well then incapable of of paying bills. So that's uh, that's where I think the Democrats are going to go on all this. They're going to say, well, if Republicans keep it, it's really just proving to us uh, once again that we were right all along. Uh, but there's a big fight coming over this, and and I should just point out. You're here. You're going to hear a lot of stuff about this, like Obamacare insures 20 million people and like so much of the Obama legacy and the Obama economy and and his record on health care. This is wildly misleading. This number um, the, that 20 million people you hear that and you're supposed to think and this is why it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Remember, the, the vote for at least a partial repeal is supposed to happen today. Uh, we'll see. If it comes down the way that we expect it to right now Um, and Obama now, and I'm just saying this on CNN, Obama is saying don't rescue Republicans on Trump care. So they're really daring Republicans now to repeal this thing. That's that's where this has gone. That's the current circumstance. They're saying that if there's a sort of gap in coverage that occurs or people lose coverage, blame Republicans right away for this. Uh, This is where I'm wondering if Paul Ryan, who's. A wonky guy from people I know who have actually spoken to him and worked with him is able to understand both the realities of Obamacare and the politics of this, because the 20 million insured, that's that's a lot of people. That's not a lot of people as a percentage of the overall health care market, really. It's less than 10 percent, right? 300 plus I mean, 300 plus million Americans, 20 million get their health care through Obamacare. But, for example, that number that's out there and that sticks in people's minds doesn't clarify the situation the way that it should. Obamacare is largely this this 20 million expansion that they always talk about is largely just an expansion of Medicaid. Uh, That's been a very important component of this. Although uh, the researchers from the Heritage Foundation have looked into it. I know Heritage is conservative, but, you know, the numbers are numbers. And they said that from the end of 2013 to the end of 2015, 14 million people gained coverage. So it's not 20 million. So there's an actual net gain of 14 million because the 20 million comes from survey data that doesn't really look at whether people lost or gained a uh, whether there was a sort of, uh, you know, if somebody has a health care plan, but then chooses a health care plan on the exchange. That shouldn't be counted as somebody who gets coverage because they already were covered, right? So even if you have an addition into the exchange, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've expanded coverage, which is one of the main purposes of this. Um, but also, it doesn't take into account or doesn't clarify that all those 14 million, 14 million, 11.8 million gained uh, their insurance through Medicaid and 2.2 million through private coverage. So about 2 million people really bought plans on the exchange as individuals the way that we're sort of always led to believe everybody's buying their policies in the exchange and i can tell you this i've gone into uh, some doctor's offices over the last 12 months you know for checkups or little bouts of illness here or there and i've seen lots of signs that just want to make very clear from the onset we do not accept any exchange plans here so my own my own personal experience with this would be wow it would not be it would not be a good thing or not be an easy thing to be dealing with an Obamacare exchange plan and then try to actually get health care. Right? This is the difference between actual health care and coverage. I mean, you can be covered, 
you could have an insurance policy that says that you've got a million dollar deductible. I mean, no one would have that, but you know what I'm saying. And everything over a million dollars, they'll cover. Although I'm sure some corporations, and so there are instances where that's a real thing, but for an individual in the healthcare market, it's not. Uh, but just coverage is just a, a contract. Uh, coverage is just an agreement between you and some insurer for li- that, that states and then lays out the various liabilities. Healthcare is, you know, you got a problem, someone's trying to help you fix it, who's trained to do so. And getting that, if you're somebody on the exchanges, has not necessarily been easy. Um, so a lot of it has been through Medicaid. And the studies on Medicaid, by the way, I know we're, we're going down the healthcare rabbit hole a little bit here. Don't, we'll talk about Assange and WikiLeaks and Russia and stuff in a few minutes. That'll be fun. And then some other fun stories. I got so much, so much show today and so little time, and we're only in the first segment. Uh, but going back to the Obamacare thing for a second, because it's, it's important, right? It matters. I know it's not necessarily sexy to talk about. Like, we don't sit here and learn all this fascinating history of the American healthcare system, and, and I can't play cool sound effects and all the rest of it. But it, it does impact all of us in our day-to-day lives. Because even if we're not in the individual market buying on the exchanges, the uh, well, first of all, the taxpayer dollars that are being used to prop this thing up via the incentive via the uh, subsidies rather for people to buy these exchanges. I mean, that's just coming out of in one way or another, the public purse. Uh, But then also you look at what this does long term, what this will do to the insurance market for all of us. And it it matters. And any of you who have been really sick and really had to count on your insurance. And it was a question of, you know, if you're if your policy is good, you're going to be able to pay your bills. If it's not, you're going to rack up credit card debts and maybe not be able to pay your rent for a while. And, you know, you get some real financial jeopardy. You understand uh, how serious this stuff is. I mean, I've had to make very tough decisions myself based on what insurance will cover, what it won't cover. I mean, I was going to have a operation, what was it now, five years ago to fix to fix my ankle. I mean, as it was described to me by an orthopedic surgeon, I'm going through life with a flat tire. That's what he said. Um Meanwhile, like in the past year, I probably got in better shape than I've been in since I was like 26. But the the point is, yeah, I mean, I, I deal with uh, I deal with that. But when they told me what the possible cost of the operation was and then also what the possible liability of it was, meaning they tell you that it costs twenty thousand dollars. Your insurance will pick up all but, you know, four or five thousand dollars. And that was like all the money that I mean, that that was like going to clean out the, the bank of buck um, and. But then also, by the way, if they have to do a couple of other things and if the wrong anesthesiologist shows up, I mean, your total liability might be like 40 or 50 grand. I was like, well, how does this work? You know, I thought I was in network. Oh, well, you know, you're not really in network if, if the wrong person, if, the, if a different anesthesiologist shows up, he's just going to charge you and send you a bill. And I'll, well, can we prevent that? Oh, no, we can't really promise you. You know, that's not really how we do things here. Okay, great. So, you know, I, I may get my ankle fixed, but I also may have no money at the end of this and, and owe many, many thousands of dollars. So we've all dealt with this, I'm sure, at different times. Maybe you haven't, but a family member has, your kids have. So this stuff really matters. And it also goes to the heart of many debates we have about conservatives as to whether we live in a, uh, a free, real free market economy where you have real choice over your health decisions and the doctors you see or, or whether the government gets to pick for you. Healthcare is very personal. And a government that gets to make these choices for you is in many ways this sort of uh, epitome of government overreach and big government gone, uh, gone or run amok, I should say. All right, I went a bit longer on the Obamacare thing. Uh, 888-900. Oh, it's so good to say those numbers. 888-900-3393. At Buck Sexton on Twitter. Team Buck, so good to be back with you. 
Give me a few minutes. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Team phone lines are open here, 888-900-3393. I just got to tell you, uh, (laughs) the Congress and the actions of this Congress over the next few weeks is going to really set a tone. And so there is a sort of heightened political, you could say almost like a political frenzy going on right now. There's a tremendous amount of scrutiny on every action of this Congress because People are going to look at this. They're going to say to themselves, all right, are they in, as I heard Mike Pence say, I think it was this morning, but it might have been last night. Are they in the promise keeping business or not? Are they going to keep their promises? I think people find that this is really going to set a tone. And the Congress has made certain promises and Donald Trump has made promises And now we get to really see this is going to be fascinating because there's really not much of a roadblock in the way. They have the House. They have the Senate. There's nothing that should be stopping them. There's nothing that should be really stopping them uh, from enacting their agenda. Yeah, I know there's some parliamentary tricks that they can pull and the Democrats can stand athwart some things here and there. But we should see a lot of action. Uh, because really the the Trump presidency is going to have to be a results-oriented presidency. He came in with a lot of messaging and a lot of talk, as politicians do, but obviously no political record to speak of, right? So he couldn't point at things and say, well, I got this bill passed. And maybe that's a good thing. Again, we'll find out in time. Uh, But the way that this Congress positions itself from the start. And this is also why I think you can see the Democrats. There's a nervousness that you haven't really been able to pick up on before, Um, that the Democrats are increasingly in a position where they will not be able to just sort of sit around and say Republicans have no policies and no plans. That's what we were told when they weren't in the majority for quite a while or when they didn't at least have both sides of it. They'd say that they were obstructionists to Obama's agenda, right? So that went as far as people starting to claim that Obama should just go around the Congress, right? And this was an Obama mantra for a while. I'm going to go around Congress. And Republicans have no ideas. They're just obstructionists. They're just obstructionists. Watch what it looks like when that shoe is on the other foot because it's about to happen. You're going to see Democrats who all of a sudden are talking about runaway, uh, you know, runaway, hyper-partisan, Republican-controlled Congress. Oh, it's terrible what they're doing. All these things are so terrible. Um, so and w- with no trace of irony, with no sense of, wait a second, isn't this just the pendulum swinging to the other side now after Democrats were able to have their way? And Obamacare is in many in many ways a prime example of this. They've rammed this down the throats of the Republican opposition. I mean, it was just jammed down there. And now they're going to pull it out. Now they're coughing it up and maybe they're going to ram some stuff down the Democrats throats. We'll see. 
But this is what happens. And that the Democrats seem almost to be, I think it's all for show, but caught off guard by the, oh, you mean they're, you mean they're really going to replace Obamacare? Yeah, dude, or dudette. They're really going to replace Obamacare. That, that's what they said they're going to do, repeal and replace. They've been saying it. They held all those votes. And now if they go through with it, that's called keeping promises to those that voted for you to give you the power to do these things in the first place. But the pearl clutching from Democrats as Obamacare gets repealed will be epic. They're trying to make America sick again. Oh, no. Good heavens. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. team hold on one second here um sarah i'm gonna send you the uh the number because we've got a different number for our guests we, we got john schindler joining us uh, in just a second here but we have uh, a new radio setup in the new year and so that means that there's going to be the occasional the occasional uh, uh situation normal all messed up but in the meantime um i just wanted to point out that there was this interview last night uh, that uh, Sean Hannity did with Julian Assange, and I get a lot of um, I get a lot of questions from people that are sort of well well intentioned, well informed, and they're like, "Why do you why do you take this negative tone towards Assange?" Now, I was still in. I think I, I definitely still had an active TSSEI clearance, and I forget exactly when the WikiLeaks thing broke. I think I was at NYPD Intel Division at the time. I'm now old enough that like parts of my life blur together. You know, once you get to 35, it it all just starts to blur. Um, but I remember when Assange was part of the WikiLeaks uh, uh, WikiLeaks dump of hundreds of thousands of classified U.S. government cables, and this was all under the general rubric of whistleblowing. And I was like, well, why is this a whistleblow? Uh, someone explain that. Why is this whistleblowing? Um, uh, that never really was answered to my satisfaction. And when we saw the information that was released, and also, of course, the intelligence community had all this stupid stuff that they were saying at the time, like, if you have a clearance, don't you better not go and access the WikiLeaks site and see what's there. I'm like, oh, okay. So the whole world can go online and read this stuff, but if you actually have the access to it on your own to, you know, if you're legally allowed to see and, and read this stuff, uh, you're not supposed to. I mean, this is the stuff that the you know the intel community sometimes really is the is the gang that can't shoot straight. Um, it, it, it that is a thing that is real. Uh, I just wanted to say that they they do make mistakes and they do have some very foolish policies and it moves very slowly and it still sometimes thinks it's in the Cold War. But I digress. Um, but Assange was answering some of these questions that uh, people have been posing to me, like, well, Buck, why do you? Assume that Assange is working with the Russians. I mean, I, I can work you. I can work through some of this with you. Um, I can take you through some of this, and others of it. I just have to say, it's really a, 
uh, somewhat of a gut instinct. Right? I know that Assange, for example, uh, requested Russian security at the Ecuadorian embassy. That, to me, seems quite strange. Uh, the Ecuadorian embassy in the UK, which is where Hannity conducted the interview last night, and Hannity asked him the real questions. He, you know, did you, you know, and he, and he hit it a couple times. Did Russia, um, did Russia have any hand whatsoever in the hack of the Podesta emails? Was there anything going on there? Uh, here, let's play it. Uh, Sarah, play clip one, please. You did not get this information about the DNC, John Podesta's emails. Can you tell the American people a thousand percent you did not get it from Russia or yes. anybody associated with Russia? We, we can say, um, we have said, uh, repeatedly uh, over the last two months uh, that our source uh, is not the Russian government uh, and it is not a state party. Our publications uh, uh, had wide uptake by the American people. They are all true, um, but that's not the allegation that is being presented uh, uh, by the Obama White House. So why such a, uh, a dramatic response? Well, the, the reason is obvious. Uh, they're trying to delegitimize uh, Trump administration as it goes into the White House. We're joined now by our friend John. I mean, sorry, we're joined now by our friend John Schindler. He is formerly of the NSA. He's currently the columnist for the New York Observer. Read his latest at Observer.com. He follows this issue very closely. John, thank you for joining us. Sorry about the tech issues. Great to have you. As always, Happy New Year. Same to you, Buck. All right. Uh, I assume you saw the Hannity interview last night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I have people that I know who are who are good, smart conservatives, not in media, just, you know, people, normal, normal, normal people with real with real jobs uh, who who are emailing me and they're saying, but why? Yeah, Assange is slimy and he's gross. But how do you know he's lying this time? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll just ask Schindler to come on. He could tell you why he's lying this time. (laughs) So you 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 go. You tell. Yeah, look, look, Assange lies about everything. This is an accused rapist. He's on the lam. He's not remotely credible. He used to have a show on RT. He, he transmits naked Russian propaganda unfiltered. As for this exact interview, which I'm, you know, I, I don't think Sean Hannity you know, is looking real good in this. He's turning into the, the Mariah Carey of the uh, conservative uh, news sphere with this one, in my opinion. Uh, you know, giving Assange a license to put out lies without without questioning them. But let's get to the facts. The facts are what happened with Democratic emails is not in question. This has been established by the U.S. government, numerous outside experts. These were long-time hacking uh, fronts associated with the Kremlin, with Russian military intelligence, or GRU. They were not subtle. They wanted us to know this. They could have done it a lot more subtly. They wanted us to know, and we do know. Look at what Assange says he, in a very lawyerly way. Uh, he has lawyers on call. Said it wasn't the Russians or a state entity. Oh, okay, well, no one's suggesting a, a guy in a GRU uniform showed up at the Ecuadorian embassy in London and gave him yeah. these emails. He, he's the the, the loophole he leaves himself with that statement, and he's very precise. Is enormous, yeah. which is yeah, it was through yeah. a cutout, which we all thought anyway. It was through a cutout, of course. And anyone who's remotely acquainted with espionage understands what he's doing here. He can say, well, it wasn't the Russians, right? It was some guy working for the Russians who wasn't actually Russian. That's normal in these sorts of sorts of situations. So I, I would pay no attention to what Assange says whatsoever. He needs to cover himself well. He's already probably facing a lot of federal U.S. charges under sealed indictment from his involvement in the Snowden affair. This would add a whole lot more. Uh, he's probably already going to wind up dying in Supermax at some point anyway, frankly. Um, you know, why make it even longer? You really think so? You, you, you think yeah, he's going to yeah, serve I mean, time for all this stuff? Absolutely. He, he cannot dodge this forever. 
And the minute he gets out of that embassy, the U.S. government is going to apply massive pressure on Britain, with whom we have an extradition treaty. And by the way, he well could be facing charges in Britain as well, because what he's done is very much harm British national security. Um, Assange, this yeah, and the Brits, people don't know this, really. but the Brits with their national security, and I know you know oh, this, yeah. John, uh, their Official Secrets Act is some scary stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the standard of evidence they, they require to convict someone in Britain is far lower than the United States. And maybe he won't go to Supermax, but Julian's going to jail somewhere. And I don't mean some nice Swedish tennis prison jail. Uh, I, I mean a real one in, in a Western country that he's harmed. It's just a question of time. The Ecuadorians won't keep him forever. Uh, and it's going to end badly for him. So I understand he doesn't want to implicate himself in more international crimes. But the fact that anyone would take this seriously, I, I can't explain it except willful disbelief. And that the Trump campaign has jumped on this and said, hey, listen to Julian, um, is, beyond, is just bizarre beyond words. I mean, I understand. John, can we, keep, can we keep you through a break here yeah. and finish us up on the sure. other side? Do you have a few minutes? Uh, all right, Absolutely. guys, we got John Schindler uh, at 20 Committee on Twitter. He's at the New York Observer. Go to Observer.com for his latest. But also follow him on Twitter if you want to know what he's up to because he's a prolific tweeter. Uh, John, uh, we'll be right back. Team, stay with me. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we're back. We've got our friend John Schindler at 20 Committee on Twitter. Columnist for the New York, New York Observer. Read his latest on Observer.com. John, I wanted you to respond to what uh, Assange had to say about how easy it was to hack Podesta. Play clip two, please. We published the, uh, several Podesta emails, which shows uh, Podesta uh, responding to a phishing email. Now, how did they respond? Uh, Podesta gave out. Uh, that his password was the word password. Mm. Uh, his uh, own staff said, this email that you've received, uh, this is totally legitimate. So, so this is something a 14-year-old kid, a 14-year-old kid uh, could have hacked uh, based on that. that way. Now, John, fair to say, true perhaps, but we've got a lot of information about who actually hacked, right? Of course, we know who it really was. It was uh, Russian military intelligence. And look, Julian's just a pasty-faced computer geek who's been trapped in an embassy for years with time on his hands. Yes, of course, Podesta and others were stupid to have so little cybersecurity, to be subject to a spear phishing attack, which could happen to anyone, to have awful passwords that are password. It's laughable, except for the fact it's kind of like saying, well, I broke into their house and stole all their stuff because it was their fault because they left the door unlocked. It doesn't change the fact that it's theft, that it's breaking and entering. It's still a crime. It's still wrong. Yes, the DNC did a terrible job here. That's not up for debate. It was stupid of them. But you know what? I'm willing to bet the RNC wasn't a whole lot better, and I'm willing to bet the Russians have their emails too. I bet my bottom dollar they have them and are holding them as insurance for when the Republicans upset Moscow, and then they'll expose them. Who knows? Maybe even via WikiLeaks. Julian is, is just covering his tracks to avoid more jail time, but this is just taunting. It's silly. You know, you got Trump saying stuff about the intel community, and obviously the media yeah. is loving this because the more they can drive a wedge between Trump and the intel community, the more also down the line 
they can say, see, he's, you know, from day one, he wasn't listening to them. And any blunder he makes on foreign policy will be rightly or wrongly right. attributable to the fact that he had a bad relationship with the intel community. So, I mean, I, th- I think that's uh, the, the narrative, at least the political narrative there is obvious enough. But what troubles me is this notion that, yeah, you can have a leaked assessment from, uh, you know, a leaked assessment that's still classified to The New York Times or something. I, I can. And I was willing to at the time. I was like, look, we, we, we don't know. Let's wait until we actually have an official statement from them. You know, you can't run national discussions based off of selective leaks to left leaning papers that hate Donald Trump. That's fair. But the intel community has really said now, no, no, it, it really was Russia. And I'm hearing people say, well, Buck, why would you trust the intel community? I'm looking at them I'm like, uh, is that where we are now? Uh, this is a little well, disconcerting. Well, and this is also the product of Russian propaganda. This is thanks to Snowden. OK, let's make this very clear. Who's been living in Moscow since June of 2013? And his propaganda offensive with 1.5 million stolen classified U.S. government documents has to create doubt worldwide, but especially among Americans, about the intelligence community, presenting them as criminals they can't possibly be trusted. And this is awfully useful for Donald Trump right now to say, gosh, these people all lie. You and I, Buck, we know the intelligence community. We've been in it. We know there are goofballs. There are morons. There are fools. But by and large, they are upstanding, law-abiding American citizens who like the cops, protect Americans while they sleep, and don't expect a lot of thanks for it except for a paycheck. And the reality is the entire IC is unified behind the belief that this hacking was done by the Russians and the Russians passed it to WikiLeaks. Therefore, WikiLeaks is a Russian intelligence front operation. Okay, this is not really debatable. We can still debate exactly what effect politically Putin and company wanted in in America. Was it definitely Trump being elected? Was it simply chaos? Was it just a vendetta against Hillary Clinton or some combination? That I'm willing to have that debate. There is yeah, I mean, there, there is some information, that. isn't there, John, that, that this was that this, the spear phishing that worked here against Podesta was part of a much larger, uh, much larger Absolutely. effort to just sort of see, just hoover up all the information they could. They were hoovering up pretty much every U.S. government entity they could find, including the Pentagon, the White House, over 1,500 attacks in 2015 alone. This was a massive Russian intelligence operation, which, again, they knew that we knew it was them. They could have been subtle about this. They just didn't care. They didn't feel. I mean, they're basically leaving like little emoji furry Russian bears with hammers and sickles on their chests behind. I mean, this alphabet stuff behind. They're not even being subtle. They they want us to know. Look, their good hackers are really good. They're as good as ours, and they can cover their tracks. They didn't bother to, which says a lot about their assessment of both Barack Obama and Donald Trump, frankly. And the American public needs to demand a little more honesty from our incoming president. Uh, I understand he doesn't want to do that, but the lying about this, he's put himself into a corner now, and it's hard to see how he gets out of it. Is it a fair criticism in your mind to point out that the Chinese OPM hack, Josh Ernest had to talk about this. Uh, actually, do we have time to play that, sir? Um, oh, well, no, it's all right. The, the yeah. Chinese OPM hack happened, and right. we, we were told, like, ah, oh, you know, stuff happens. And then the Podesta email <laughs> hack happens, and it's like DEFCON 1, and we're all going to die. Right. Well, I, I think that's a fair criticism. The Obama administration has overseen the greatest collapse of counterintelligence and security in American history. The only thing that remotely comes close was the very beginning of the Cold War when the Soviets stole the atom bomb from us thanks to the Rosenbergs. That's the only real parallel, and I think this is arguably even worse in terms of the amount of data, that sensitive and classified data the U.S. government has lost since 2009. But let me be very clear. Obviously, it is a different thing when you expressly go after a political party to interfere in our election. I was begging the Obama administration years ago to get serious about Russian and Chinese espionage and propaganda against us. They came into this very late, so late to the point it's not really going to have any impact, but 
it is a different thing when you're trying to influence our election versus stealing the background information of 22 million Americans, of whom I was one, and I bet you were too, Buck. So, oh, uh, yeah. This, this, I got that fun, you, you got that fun letter in the mail being like, hey, the Chinese I know sure everything. Did. <laughs> sorry, sorry yeah. foreigners know everything about you. Uh, here's some free credit monitoring for three months. Right. Uh, you know, it, it really inspires a great deal of confidence in the government. I, I, I can't tell you. You know, it's a fair criticism, but at some point we all just need to move on and start taking taking this seriously. And obviously, you know, I've been sharply critical of Obama for years on counterintelligence and security, and it looks like Obama, uh, you know, may not be the worst. Trump doesn't seem to want to do anything about the Russians, and I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope. What do you think Trump says, John? I just want to ask you before we before we are running into a hard break in about thirty seconds. Uh, What do you think Trump does once he gets this briefing on the? Is he just going to say the intel community is still full of it? Well, if he does that, he's going to have serious problems with his incoming defense secretary, uh, Jim Mattis, who knows the truth, uh, and you're going to have a bureaucratic war in your hands, and it's going to get real ugly real fast. So I'm hoping the president-elect comes to his senses once the facts are explained to him. And they are facts. They're not opinions. John Schindler is the national security columnist for the New York Observer. Read his latest at Observer.com. Also follow him on Twitter, at 20Committee. John, great to have you, sir. Thanks for making the time. Same to you. Team, we'll be, we'll be uh, well... 888-900-3393. I haven't spoken to any of you unless you called into the Rush Limbaugh show uh, in the last couple of times in many, many days. So I miss you all. So let's chat. Uh, we've got a couple guests lined up the next hour, but we'll make time for calls, too, if you uh, light up these lines. 888-900-3393. Um, also, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. will be posting some stuff there. I think we got uh, Andy McCarthy up next and all kinds of fantastic stuff. Hour two already upon us. Time flies when you're in the Freedom Hunt. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.